Hey guys, it is Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Congratulations for you folks that's when graduating, either from high school or from college or grad school or law school or medical school. Well, you know what? They'll be looking for a job soon. If they're looking for a job, they got to look the part. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. they got a great, great line of clothing for your younger folks. And not necessarily something tailor-made, but also something custom-made. A wide variety of shirts, blouses, skirts, towels, you name it. Not towels, exactly. But you know what I'm talking about. So swing on by Leon Tailoring. They'll take care of you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. All right. I, th- I think we're going to get started, everybody. Well, welcome and good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I am honored to be accompanied by Chris Johnston, the OMB Director, and Zach Jackson, the State Budget Director, as we present the 2023 financial results. And this is my first press conference since my title changed from state auditor to state comptroller. And so I'm probably letting the cat out of the bag for some of those in the past that thought these year-end results had been audited because they had been announced by the state auditor. Well, I'm here to let you know these numbers are a fresh cut from our state's financial system, which we believe are accurate, but they won't officially be audited until later this year by the State Board of Accounts. But getting on with things, I am pleased to announce that Indiana has ended our 2023 fiscal year with $2.9 billion in reserves. And this means that we are well, we are once again well within our healthy range or benchmark of 10 to 15 percent of fiscal year 2024 budgeted appropriations. We've prudently managed state's resources to ensure the appropriate amount of reserves are available should the economy um, take a dip or shift in any way. We, We will be able to provide the services that Indiana has come to expect. The state of Indiana began fiscal year 2023 with over $6 billion in reserves and the General Assembly quickly moved to contribute $2.5 billion to the Pension Stabilization Fund for teachers, as well as appropriate an additional $3 billion of one-time other expenditures for 2023. Um, Indiana's state, um, our, our strong fiscal leadership continues to serve all Hoosier residents and businesses well. We had another very productive year with taxpayer refunds going out, historic investments in education, public safety, infrastructure, and economic development. Um, I am also pleased to thank all of our business partners, some of them made it here today, who work so hard and are dedicated to providing essential services to the people of Indiana, while recognizing the need to be good stewards of our financial resources. I want to thank um, Chris and Zach and their entire team along with Courtney Everett and Kim Diller for their outstanding contributions to the state's financial process and integrity. Um, I, am, I couldn't be here today without my team, so thank, I want to thank my team. And then with that, I'm going to turn it over to Chris to go over more details of the last 12 months and the activity specifically um, that end up shaping 2023. Thank you. Good afternoon, and uh, welcome to the fiscal year 23 financial closeout briefing. I do want to thank Comptroller Klutz and her entire team uh, for the tremendous work that goes into closing the books each year. And as I've mentioned in in prior years, uh, this is uh, quite an expanded effort, not only with 
the comptroller's office, but with Zach and his team at the, at the budget agency. It's, uh, it's a quite a lot of work at the end of the fiscal year, but we're happy to be here. Uh, I will provide uh, some highlights on the fiscal year 23 revenues, both against forecasts and comparing the last year. Then I'm going to turn it over to Zach to walk through the surplus statement, uh, which incorporates key features uh, of the budget that was adopted in April and really sets the outlook for uh, the next two years. What I hope you take away from our collective remarks and, and the data that's uh, being posted out on the website is that Indiana continues its commitment to fiscal stability and sound financial management. We spend less than we take in, and we maintain ample reserves to continue funding those critical services if confronted with any economic stress. I think the most significant difference this year compared to the last two years is that there's not a wide variance between forecasted and actual revenues. If you recall, revenues in fiscal year 21 and fiscal year 22 exceeded forecast by $1.2 billion, almost all of which occurred in the final quarter of the fiscal year. So all of that variance, forecast came out, all that variance occurred primarily April through June. Compared to uh, prior year uh, closeouts, this year is almost subdued. Uh, revenues in June and for the fiscal year are virtually spot on with the latest forecast. It's within tenths of 1% of the forecast for both June and the entire fiscal year. But probably more significant is that revenues uh, were off less than 1% compared to fiscal year 22. This is also uh, surprising uh, in that the for revenue forecast in December of 2022, heading into the budget session, suggested revenues would be off by more than $500 million. So that shows the resiliency of uh, and the bounce back of the Indiana economy and its impact on our uh, fiscal situation. It wasn't necessarily a smooth component by component uh, 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 path to get here. Individual income taxes were down over $600 million. But that's a combination of rate reduction, but then also the fact that fiscal year 22 payments with our tax returns that are due in April were abnormally high. Um, and now, uh, this year, IT40 payments that came in in fiscal year 23 are 30% lower. So what happened was uh, people made significant payments to close when they filed their tax returns, probably didn't make sufficient estimated payments along the way, and so that really had, uh, was a tremendous amount of uh, uh, incoming revenue in April of 2022. Conjecture only on my part, but so with that happening, taxpayers didn't want that to happen again, and it appears that they uh, overestimated their payments in this fiscal year because refunds are 20% higher than they were last year. And so when you net that out of less estimated or less uh, payments coming in with their IT40 returns, 
more refunds, which are netted against collections, that gets us to a $600 million variance that you'll see in our revenue report that's posted. Corporate income tax was also off last year, compared to last year, over $300 million. But that was because utility receipts tax and utility services tax was repealed, and this is the first full year that the uh, budget uh, saw that impact. Sales tax, though, was almost over 5% uh, higher than last year, $473 million. The other, so you have all these offsetting effects. The one thing that's also happening in our economy are interest rates. And so the state treasurer is earning much more than they did in prior years, and that added uh, $253 million compared to fiscal year 22. So all of that nets out to uh, a shortfall of only $132 million compared to fiscal year 22, when in December we were expecting that to be $500 million, and that also is only six-tenths of 1% variance from the prior year. What we see in the forecast going into fiscal year 24 and 25 is a, more of a return to historical growth patterns. The economic forecast that was issued in April did not include, uh, because it was done before the end of the session, did not include the uh, uh, individual income tax rate reductions. Uh, but as uh, Zach gets into the surplus statement, that has been factored in uh, as well. What it, I would really like to do is the fact that this revenue uh, uh, collections, both to forecast and uh, to prior year, is to really commend the revenue team within the budget agency, but then also the revenue forecasting technical committee that has worked so hard, particularly after these last several years of volatility, uh, but then also uh, uh, incorporating these policy decisions, uh, such as the rate reductions and repeal of certain taxes. Now I'll turn it over to Zach to walk through the surplus statement and the uh, budget impact. Thanks, Chris, and um, I thank you all for holding your applause until the end. So that was nice. Um, it, I, I'm going to walk through the surplus statement, and uh, first of all, let me acknowledge and thank Joe for Joe Habig for all of his hard work on closeout. Um, but then also, I'll just say, if, if any of you would like a copy of the surplus statement, don't have one. We've got we've got some extra copies there. Um, with that said, um, and I'm probably actually going to point to my, my copy of the surplus statement a little bit here, I'll be focusing mainly on fiscal 23, 24, and 25 will hit a little bit, but I want to explain maybe just a few of the, the numbers that are, are a little larger than expected. Chris already addressed uh, on the revenue standpoint, so I'll jump directly to um, the, the current year expenses of the forecast or of the uh, surplus statement. And again, the way I like to think about this is, is there is kind of a line in the middle of the page. We've got the, the current year revenues and current year expenses, and then that helps to tabulate whether we operated at a surplus or not. And then below that, below the line, um, are the one-time uses of the general fund or the one-time sources of revenue coming into the general fund that, that aren't recurring, uh, helping to shape the structural surplus. Um, on the spending section for 23, you'll see uh, larger versions totaling 610 million coming back to the general fund. 
That's predominantly coming from two sources. First of all, uh, the tuition support formula, uh, uh, the, the main way that the state funds schools, uh, that appropriation um, and the corresponding formula, uh, the, the formula underspent the appropriation by, uh, by approximately a half percent or $44 million. Uh, less than half a percent. And then also, um, uh, we've had some significant um, uh, Medicaid reversions that you're going to see coming back into the general fund there. And I'd like to take a minute to just explain those a little bit. And so there are essentially two uh, Medicaid reversions occurring on this, on this surplus statement. For fiscal 23, uh, the April uh, revenue forecast also included a, a Medicaid forecast. And that Medicaid forecast uh, expected that we would underspend the appropriation for 23 by approximately $570 million. We won't know the exact amount until Medicaid finishes reconciling their books, which will probably take another two or three months. But going off that 570, we felt like we could responsibly go ahead and revert 525 million of that now. Um, that is primarily due to the fact that the appropriations that were created for 23 by the General Assembly were based upon the April 21 uh, uh, Medicaid forecast. And at that point in time, uh, assumptions about the public health emergency from the federal government, as well as the increased FMAP rate, the additional 6.2% that the state, our state and all states were benefiting from, we assumed that that would expire uh, probably at least a year before it actually did. And so in fiscal 23, we were getting more funding from the federal government to help pay for their share of expenses than, than what we forecasted when, that, when the Medicaid appropriations were built. Each quarter, that's probably worth approximately $150 million. And so thus the, the appropriate or the reversion of about $525 million. Um, I, I mentioned another Medicaid reversion, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a second because I just want to um, describe this, uh, the, the overall surplus here for a moment. So you'll see in the surplus statement that uh, we, we almost achieved a structural surplus for the year of $3.6 billion. Um, of, of course, the reversions are driving about $600 million of that, but the rest of that is really due to the time when the budget was created. It was based upon the April 2021 revenue forecast, and since then, our, as Chris was alluding earlier, um, our, our projections as well as actual results came in significantly higher than that. So we were already, um, the, the appropriations for the year were already you know, roughly $3 billion lower than the actual revenue coming in. So below the line now, looking at just a, a few of these entries on the surplus statement where it shows one-time uses or sources of cash, embedded in that 225 million on the, on the prior year capital and reconciliation reversion line, there was also 168 million of prior year Medicaid money unspent from fiscal 22. So kind of as I was describing before, we didn't know exactly how much would be left over at the end of the year. So there was 168 million left over. We are now pulling that back to the general fund, but because it wasn't a current year appropriation, it, get book, it gets booked in a separate spot on the surplus statement here. Um, I'll jump down a few lines on the surplus statement and just draw your attention to a few of those, those last three entries uh, for fiscal 23. Um, the one that's almost $3 billion, uh, or $3.1 billion leaving the general fund. That comes from section 292 of the recently passed budget bill that um, those appropriations were effective upon passage. 
So um, they, they went live, if you will, at the end of April. Um, and that included largely, uh, I think 1.5 billion of that was for capital appropriations. Um, and then the rest of that was for um, some IEDC one-time appropriations as well as 700 million uh, for the teacher's pre-96 uh, fund. Uh, going down the next two lines, and just to, to clarify, those, those have been on past surplus statements, just to clarify the distinction between those and the other entries. The 2021 budget bill authorized uh, the budget agency to essentially transfer any balance over um, a certain threshold out of the general fund to the, to the pension stabilization fund, and that amount was $2.5 billion. That, that transfer actually occurred early on in fiscal 23. And then um, also in the special session from, from last summer, one of the things that came out of the special session was um, a, a, an ATR calculation uh, that sent essentially 935 million, set that aside for, for ATR that the, that the comptroller was mentioning earlier. Getting down to the final balances here, the, the total combined balances, and again, the way I like to think about this, this is our general fund checking account and the three savings accounts, the Medicaid Reserve Fund, Tuition Reserve Fund, and the Rainy Day Fund. We're essentially landing at 2.9 billion at the end of this year. That's, that's roughly 200 million than we expected whenever we published our, our budget report um, about a month ago. Um, and then we're forecasting that we'll, based upon current uh, revenue projections as well as uh, the appropriations made by the General Assembly, that we'll be at that same level of roughly 2.9 billion throughout the rest of this biennium. I'll just add, um, uh, because it's usually a question, that the 2.9 billion that we're landing at at the end of this year is not sufficient enough to, tr to trigger any type of automatic ta taxpayer refund or any other uh, transfer to, to pensions. Um, the overall balance would, would have to be approximately uh, 3.45 billion in order to to uh, trigger that, and so you can see we're, we're, we're basically about a half billion short of triggering any type of uh, uh, ATR or other pension transfer. Um, and then just as a reminder, for the next two years, um, the General Assembly has kind of suspended our normal year-end excess reserves ATR calculation, and so for 24 and 25, the, the calculation is much simpler. It's basically, if you have more than three billion in the general fund at the end of the year, the the Anything above three billion, you send that over to, to pensions. And um, as of right now, uh, we, we do not uh, foresee that we will hit that threshold. But time will tell as actual revenues come in and, and uh, we see reversions for next year. So, with that said, um, I think the three of us are all happy to answer any questions. Oh, obviously, it's always good news when the government isn't running a whole bunch of debt and has surpluses. But one of the arguments I know I'm going to hear starting next week is. Any of the ones get on the surplus of three billion dollars in the bank, they're, they're taking too much of our money, and they should give us our money back and cut spending. Any thoughts, response to that? Criticism which you guys know is coming. Mm. Yeah. How about it, boss? <laughs> and yes, it's great to be back. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, when you say $3 billion, sure sounds like a lot of money. But going back to what uh, the Comptroller had mentioned about what are prudent reserves, uh, the trade associations, the government finance officers association do say it, 
depending on the state's particular situations, the reserve should be in a 10 to 15% range. We're in that range. Um, we're still funding a lot of services. If you look at the growth in spending, we have stepped up that spending level. And so uh, I think uh, this past budget gave us the opportunity, if you remember, I think what, uh, what Zach had pointed out, the annual surplus was over $3 billion. It's because we had the revenue that came in because of the bounce back of the pandemic, but we were still being held to a budget that was adopted two years ago. So that's what created that, uh, that uh, ability to consider, and it was a good policy discussion, is the resources were available, uh, and, uh, and so there was a step up in key areas of public health, education, uh, and economic development. I think the thing of, uh, uh, is it is a snapshot, the $3 billion is a snapshot, and it, the, uh, the other thing is sustaining that spending level over the next several years. Um, that was a good question. I would say, but just to add on to what Chris was talking about, some of the legislatures may agree with the people that ask those questions, and they have taken steps to cut income taxes uh, over the course of the next few years. Some may not, but Indiana did take those steps to try to true up um, the balance of revenue and expenses. In regards to the expenditure side, um, yep. Medicaid spending, uh, that whole bit, is that a concern? And in keeping budgets in the life going forward, how fast that's going to accelerate? I'll, I'll uh, defer to, to Zach a little bit on, on the Medicaid, but I would say yes. But uh, from our perspective, uh, it's, it's the sustainability of meeting those uh, obligations. So it's not only uh, Medicaid, but it's K through 12 funding. It's higher ed funding. Those are all big ticket items, uh, as well as just meeting our own ongoing pension obligations and, and debt service. But do you want to speak to the Medicaid? Yeah, I, I'll just mention that again, the, the reversions that you're seeing here uh, really are kind of unrelated to um, any type of long-term view of Medicaid. The reversions have more to do with the fact that the, the federal government was, was giving us more than our normal um, uh, FMAP rate. But, but to the point, um, and, and I'm kind of making it earlier today, I mean, Medicaid, the, the Medicaid assistance appropriation is our second largest appropriation of, in state government. And yeah, I, th there are, there are, I'm sure there are appropriations that might have been 50,000 in the last budget and became 100,000 in this budget. So that's a 100% that's growth rate. But whenever you look at some of the meatier appropriations, the bigger appropriations, Medicaid is growing at, at, a, uh, at a much higher rate than revenues are, are growing. And I, so I, I do think we need to take it very seriously in terms of how, how do we get a, a handle on our, our Medicaid expenditure growth. I really appreciate that question, but I ran for the wrong office to um, get to decide how to spend, you know, the current budget, budget or even the reserves. I do 
I do applaud from the sidelines um, our legislature ability to be civil and discuss. We have a lot of need in the state of Indiana. We provide a lot of great service, um, but whether you're spending it on early education, education in general, or infrastructure or economic development, there are always going to be um, opinions about what does the most for all of our residents. And until I'm a legislator, I don't get a say. <laughs> um, Chris, uh... Brandon. You talked a about how the last years have seen wild corporations in a couple different directions. Right. Person bad, not good. Does this feel like we're starting to get back to what is the new normal post pandemic financial model? Are we over the pandemic? Fiscally. Fiscally. Well, I'm going to give you an aggravating, uh, aggra aggravating response, I guess. I'm going to say maybe yes and no. Uh, definitely on the, on the revenue side, uh, I do think we, we are returning to historical trends and, and patterns as far as revenue growth goes. And I think so, those components, we've settled in to a new plateau, if you will, particularly on income tax. Uh, there have been a lot of wage growth and salary increases, which uh, have been baked into those uh, income tax uh, withholdings. Um, and I think also the employment picture will help support that in that um, businesses have worked so hard to find and retain employees that if things do get soft in the economy, that I, my guess is that there'll be uh, a little more hesitant to lay people off because they've worked so hard to maintain uh, and, and get the right skills for their businesses. The areas of concern that I have, though, are, is the readings on um, the depletion of savings. There was a lot, there was accumulated savings from all of the additional financial assistance that went out over the last three years. But if you look at certain reports, and I'm the geeky one that I guess reads the, these reports you know, from the Federal Reserve and other places, you look and those accumulated savings are now below uh, pre-pandemic levels or either at or pre-pandemic levels. And then the same type of reports talk about how household debt is going up, particularly credit card debt. So those two factors together, what is that going to mean to sales tax, which when you look at the revenue report, is about 50% of our total uh, general fund revenue. And so those are things, that's where I'm kind of going maybe yes uh, on the revenue side. On when I say no, we're still feeling the effects of the pandemic on the spending side. There is a lot of money, federal funds, that are still yet to be spent because they have to be obligated by 2024 and spent by 2026. And there are a lot of contractors, service providers that have changed their behavior, <clears throat> excuse me, made business decisions based on that level of funding today. So what happens in future budgets when, that, when those federal dollars expire and they want the same level of service or the same level of contracts you know, to keep providing those services. There's going to be a, a, just a needed uh, 
honest assessment of how this money's been used and what should we continue to do and what possibly should we stop doing uh, in a couple of years. So that's where I say no on this. So it's a yes and no. I think, I think we are on the revenue side, but the, the spending side of all of this money, I, I think, is still uh, yet to be determined. Okay. Uh, so well, I think that, that has been discussed uh, uh, as far as the need of doing that analysis. Uh, there is a, a study commission, I think it's supposed to kick off pretty soon and really has a short turnaround time. Uh, I'm questioning whether they're going to get all their work done because it is a complicated uh, question about uh, who should pay and, you know, ranging from commuter taxes to uh, electric vehicles and, and, and all of that. But that's all of those things are going to be part of uh, this task force or commission to, to look at transportation funding. They're also looking at just the, the financing of current obligations uh, out there as well. So it, it, the scope of this task force is, is pretty comprehensive, and so uh, I think that's going to dictate a lot for the future. Do you have any worries about the state that you to get more dependent on the sales tax um, revenue? Point out Yeah, things have, uh, it, again, if you get into the detail of the, of the revenue report, uh, sales tax has missed estimate, uh, its estimate the last couple of months. Um, it's still, but not in a, a significant way. But for those reasons I had mentioned before about uh, household debt um, and uh, savings uh, being you know, wound down, uh, I, I think it's something to keep an eye on mostly because it's 50% of the revenue stream to the, to the general fund. So I think that's going to be one of the things that the uh, technical committee is looking at, both the sales tax and the individual income tax. Zach, this is probably a question for you. We talked about the already about the conversion. Obviously, that's a little bit of a number of 90% that is just Medicaid and commissions for. You still have tens of millions of dollars here that are being converted to the general fund. State agencies, higher ed. Um, why are these agencies yeah, thanks, Brandon. And, and let me kind of address that from two different standpoints. One, we've got fiscal 22, or sorry, fiscal 23 that just ended, and then also a kind of a re reserve policy that we, my office sent out for, for fiscal 24. Um, and really, we had kind of the both, we had the same policy in place for, for both years. We asked agencies to hold back a 2% management reserve. Um, broadly, it, it was to be applied to um, operating appropriations, but for the most part, exempting programmatic and um, grant-type appropriations. But the idea there is, as, as you know, Chris alluded earlier, um, even though the state, I mean, even though we operated at, you know, we, we brought in three billion more than our appropriations last year, that doesn't really give us the authority to spend a single dollar more. And so what we try to work out with agencies is a holdback, a modest holdback of maybe up to 2% for some appropriations so that mid-year when they get in a situation where 
there's an unplanned expense or just something's happened, our release valves are, are somewhat um, limited. And so this gives a, a, a little kind of contingency pot at each agency uh, to, to help them out. Um, at the end of the day, um, you know, we, some years we've held a reserve because the general fund needs that money back. Um, other years it's more just a, a good practice and policy. And frankly, just by law, if, if, ag if agencies don't spend their money, it comes back to the general fund for the most part. Yes. So, so that one is led, and, and we now, and, and I should have added this earlier. We now have um, posted at one. We have no, now um, very complete reversion documents on our website. Um, if you look at the detail for that one. Um, it's business unit 48 on a report. And so most of that is coming from um, the uh, Indiana Education Scholarship Program. I'm not sure if there's another name for that, but it's essentially a scholarship program that was created and just um, probably over-appropriated for the, for the ramp-up period. Um, and so really, they just weren't in a position where they could use all those dollars in, in these early years. That is correct. Okay. And again, and then I'll just the the excess reserve calculation is done at the end of each biennium, so it is new for twenty four. We don't usually do an excess reserve calculation or ATR calculation. It's usually at the end of each um, biennium or odd numbered year, and so, but it does, it is in effect for 24 and 25. And, and to Comptroller Klutz's point earlier, um, I mean, they've, they've built in um, some tax cuts, perhaps in lieu of, of, uh, of an ATR for these two years. Let me show Medicaid, remember you guys said uh, because of COVID, couldn't get anybody off until a certain date now, a certain month, uh, as, as you can well, I'm not sure I can speak to the impact of the of the revenue, but the uh, Medicaid forecast that Zach alluded to did have their best assumptions about what would be the disenrollment rate from Medicaid. And so um, if you look at FSSA reports, uh, pre-pandemic, there was a, a million four people on Medicaid. Because of the rules about accepting uh, the enhanced federal assistance, nobody could be disenrolled. Um, and for, uh, so then the rolls grew to 2.2 million, about 800,000 people. Um, now with the uh, public health emergency being declared over, all states are having to go through what's called a redetermination process. It's not a new process, it just hasn't been done for three years. And so this normally happens every single year that someone has to re-up and basically submit their uh, documentation to stay on, on Medicaid. So um, as far as what the eventual uh, budget impact's gonna be, right now our best uh, estimate is off of the, the Medicaid forecast, but um, 
you're right, you raise an interesting point, not interesting point, just a fact of life right now, and that is um, FSSA is doing everything they can among every communication channel possible, text messages, email, regular mail, public service announcements, to inform people that they need, they shouldn't disregard inquiries or letters asking for this additional information. Is that, does that mean that it's not gonna happen? No, it's gonna happen. But then when people do all of a sudden find out that they might be disenrolled, they just need to go back to their DFR office, submit the paperwork, and if they're eligible at that point in time, they'll be re-enrolled. Are we out of the woods? Boy, that's, are we over the COVID fiscal <laughs> stuff and out of the woods? Um, I, I think it, it's, there's still plenty of different forecasts that are out there. Obviously, uh, the last forecast of 2022 thought that we would be in a recession. In fact, I think the, the econo uh, economist uh, did say, say that. Uh, obviously, it's been pushed out. Uh, I still think that they're sort of moderating in, in this revenue uh, forecast, but uh, I think time will tell. I, I, let's, let's hope it's steady state, right? Uh, the one thing that I, I kind of, uh, going back to what Tom was referring to about are there signals that are out there? And, he, and, and Tom referred to uh, sales tax being off from estimate the last couple of months. Well, when you think about, I mean, for the year, you know, we were up whatever that hundreds of millions of dollars from the prior year, sort of trailing off or moderating in the last couple of months. Our sales tax collection, we've benefited from inflation, right? So it drives price up. We apply 7% sales tax rate to it. The general fund benefits from it. What we're going to be monitoring is, you know, this leveling off or you know, maybe softening of the sales tax is increased interest rates. Some of the factors that I mentioned is that impacting instead of uh, th that the higher prices are really impacting the propensity to spend. And so I think that's one thing uh, because it is such a big uh, contributor to the general fund that, that the state has to watch. I was, I was just going to add, um, too, to, to that. I mean, the, the, the Revenue Forecasting Technical Committee did not assume any, any type of recession when they were putting their, their revenue estimates together. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.